Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly cultural podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pan Keskin Lu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. And this week we're discussing Together Together and Dead Pigs, two films reaching here a little bit, but about the nature of transactions and what money can or can't buy, question mark? I don't think that's a reach. Okay, well, if you if you interpret some things quite creatively, uh, that's yeah. what you get. How have you been, Jenny? How's your week? Things have been okay. Uh, finally, we're getting some some nicer weather, so spending a little bit of time outdoors. Went to a Lovely. park, went biking, mm. just you know, enjoying these these last few days of sub eighty degree weather. Uh, since you know the next few years and decades, we're not really yeah 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 anymore. yeah. Isn't biking so much fun now? Oh, I love like, biking. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Helen? How's your week going? So I've been swimming. Speaking Ooh. of things that we used to do when we were kids and wow. forgot about and trying to reconnect to. Yeah, there's a public pool near us. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice. Like, it's clean, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> all you can ask for. My husband used to be on the swim team back at high school. Oh. So he's been he's been a great coach. <laughs> Yesterday, I mastered the art of freestyle and trying to breathe. I was going to ask, what is your favorite stroke? Um, I would say freestyle. I go the fastest. Okay. Um, I try to do breaststroke, and it's it's hard because you have to kind of bob up and down. Um, yeah. But I'm tr- I'm trying to master the art of just like you know, with with swimmers, they put their head down when they're freestyling, right? I, can't I never used to do that. So I could. So yeah, my freestyle would just be my head. My I would have so much neck pain because my neck would just be up. So I've been trying <laughs> to practice with my head down because I got goggles, I got a swim cap. Mm-hmm. I'm out here, man. I'm fucking Dude. out here. That sounds yeah. amazing. I it was really hard. Like in a very long time. It's very it's really exciting. Yeah, like the post swimming chlorine shower, oh, and then like just it really hits. So, oh. and then my favorite thing is like the, the once you get out the pool and you're just sitting on the poolside or like you're just chilling on mm-hmm. one end of the pool because you're too tired to swim another lap. <laughs> Is that 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 post swimming mental clarity that you have? I, I feel like it's the closest thing I'm ever gonna get to like meditation. Straight up, it's just like head empty, no thoughts. Oh. You just zone the fuck out. It's amazing. That's it's a amazing. great pitch for swimming. Yeah, man. Yeah, everybody should swim more if they can. Are there any pools in Michigan? I'm sure there are, but I... It's definitely going to be cleaner, too, like, in the suburbs, <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, growing up, my family would buy, like, a summer pass to one of the, like, local universities, like, mm. gym facilities around here, and yeah, they had, like, a... They have a fucking huge pool, maybe close to Olympic size, if, if not that. Probably. And Probably. Yeah, that was, like, the highlight of a lot of childhood summers, just, like... Oh, yeah. Swimming around. They had, like, a, a jacuzzi for... You know, so you just like run back and forth between the the, the cold pool and the jacuzzi. And oh yeah! Oh my so god! Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing the tours, doing the little tour. Yeah, uh, as a kid, like going from the adult and then into the kid and then into the little jacuzzi. All oh, the best. Oh. My favorite, um, my favorite memory is like when I was a kid, we'd have swimming classes at school, and then afterwards there'd be like a vending machine oh. and then every time like my mom would give me like one pound to go get some like just <laughs> along with it just to get something from there after we finished up because i'd be starving yeah and i'd always get this thing called the boost bar it's like a chocolate bar with like 
it's like caramel and marshmallow and like little crunchy bits in it. Oh, that and sounds good. That I will never forget. It's just it always hits, you know, just yeah. sugar and chocolate after it's <laughs> just expending so much energy splashing about. I love uh, it. These are this is like uh, the perfect sort of summertime slash nostalgia vibe right now. Yeah, uh, truly, truly, really, really great way to to open this week's episode. So speaking of enjoying life, what did you choose to spend your time watching this week, Ellen? So I've been a little bit overwhelmed with TV. Um, Me too. Yeah. And I really wanted to just have a sweet little film to watch. And this film had been on my radar since, I think, last year or early this year. Because it was doing the festival circuits and the festivals were a little bit like, mm, lackluster. And this was one of the films that kind of stood out to some critics. Like, I think they all kind of came away with it with warm reviews. So... This week, I watched a film called Together Together. It is now on Hulu, which is fantastic. Um, Ed Helms, who you will know from like The Hangover and The Office, he plays an app developer called Matt, who is a hopeful single father of a hopeful surrogate pregnancy. And the film kind of opens up with him interviewing the surrogate in question, who is Anna, who's played by Patty Harrison, who's also a comedian that you might recognize from some TV and stuff around. Mm -hmm. Anyway... So the film follows their complicated relationship, basically, from the point of conception, essentially, all the way up until, like, when the baby's born. So I knew the premise of this film back when it was being reviewed. I didn't really read too much into it, but I love me a story about fertility. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> I just love films and TV shows about it. I think there's something very primal mm. in that need for both for women and for anyone that wants a baby. But I've never seen anything about surrogacy. And we hear all about it, but being a surrogate for somebody else's baby. Jenny, would you do it? And if you would, how much would put <laughs> well, on your body for I nine think, months? No, I wouldn't do it because I don't even <laughs> want to like carry a child for myself, uh, mm. let alone for anyone else. This is just yeah. like a thing I'm sort of at the moment pretty, pretty like hard line in the sand. I don't want a pregnancy up in here. So uh, yeah. I will say it is. I cannot be bought in this case. Um, but what about you, Helen? Look at you. <laughs> man, just give me a cool 10 Gs. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Gotta would... raise the price, man. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. Um, would I do it? If I was younger, I would do it. I think mm. I'm, as I've gotten older, I, I wouldn't. If I was still in my 20s, uh, Anna, this the girl in the film, she's 26? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I, th I think if I was like 25, 26, I would probably do it for... I'm going to say a million. Oh, okay. Nice. Nice yeah. aiming, aiming high. I, I, I would like to pay off debts. I would like to have savings. And I would also like to buy one house. Just mm -hmm. one house. And I feel like that's kind of, that's what a million gets you. Yeah. I mean, right? it's so interesting, the thought of like, you know, pricing this. Because in the mm. film, Anna, she gets 15000 from this, I believe. And it's yeah. like, is that high? Is that low? Like, is that... Like it, yeah. do, it does seem like a, a good chunk of money, but also like, you know, this is your, your body that you're essentially leasing for nine months and oh, all I the after was, effects. I and, thought, I thought that was way low. Right. Like I would, now that I'm thinking about it, I was like, what, shouldn't it be at least like 30,000? But this is like such a weird concept of like, how yeah. do you, how do you like put a price on this exactly? Yeah. What I like about this film is that. It does a really great job of showcasing how intimate a process such as pregnancy can exist very, very uncomfortably uh, and very awkwardly in this transactional process of 
buying somebody's body or renting somebody's body mm-hmm. to hold your baby. Because in the film, Matt uses a donor egg and uses his own sperm and then it's in Anna's body. So she basically is biologically completely removed from this situation. Throughout the film, you see her trying to set boundaries and just consistently break them and consistently like overstep them just because it's impossible not to. I think mm-hmm. in this situation. What did you what did you think about this film? By the way, it is like it's a very easy watch. It's an hour and a half. It's very like it's not that serious, it's not that deep, but it does make you think. It does make you like question these things. Um so I liked it for that as well. But what about you, Jenny? Yeah, I would agree it's like an easy, kind of pleasant watch. I think overall I liked it in like a mostly neutral way. I mean, it's kind of hard because it's it's so dependent on the two characters, the two central characters in this. Mm. And I definitely like one of the characters, uh, I would say, like, much more than another of the characters. Yeah. Like, it, at, at the same time, you know, it tried to paint them as, as, like, human and give them, make them, like, sympathetic in different ways. Uh, so I appreciated that effort and the kind of gentle like probing way it approached the whole topic. Music, everything from the music to, like, how they interact, it's, like, so like careful and just like this like tingling music and uh it just approached everything like very very gently which i thought it made for kind of like a a pleasant sort of watch even if uh sometimes i didn't feel as like passionately about what was happening yeah no one's yelling in this movie no 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 one yells no one raises their voice really Mm -hmm. um even the moments of quote-unquote conflict are very gently done I have to congratulate Patty Harrison for her performance. I really liked yeah. her. Yeah. I really liked her. And I've only ever seen her doing the whole slapstick comedy thing. Yeah, she's really known for, besides, like, you know, internet comedy fame, like, she plays, like, the, the kind of minor character who is just, like, very, very mm. funny um, and messing things up for other people. Yeah, and in and, and this, she... I don't know. She she can act. The girl can act. Like she's got a really good handle on who this person is. Like Anna, like her character. I think in the moments of vulnerability that she showcases, I think she does a really great job of acting through her face, through her eyes, and so that's why we like her more. Like I'm assuming you meant her right? yes, <laughs> in yes. terms of who you like yeah. more. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Matt is, you know, he's a stereotype of himself. You know, he's a mid mid forties, early fifties white guy. He's an app developer. Uh, I'm assuming we're in San Francisco. Yeah, I, um, so. I initially thought we were in New York, and then I was like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> no, maybe not." Um, but yeah, I think the strength of it is that they are both quite different, and I think the casting is good in that sense. Mm-hmm. And the and the way that they end up interacting with one another, like throughout the film as it goes on, is really good too, because their their chemistry is actually good. Like they they get along, yeah. and I think they mm-hmm. the differences that they have, like the way that they approach or see the world, is that they, they're, they're a perfect vessel for that. You know, each. Mm-hmm. But despite all that chemistry, it's not to say that there isn't like the odd power dynamic that the both of them have isn't addressed or isn't kind of showcased. Yeah, that is like one of the things that i found kind of not to my taste because mm. as you said like matt the way that the, the power dynamic d- between him and anna him kind of treating her for a lot of it as like essentially just like this like holding self or uh you know his yeah. own baby and like <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, he like he has to he like is trying to control what she eats who she mm. has sex with whether or not she has sex um mm. all these different things and you are supposed to find it like uh overbearing and and 
and bad like in the yeah. movie too but it's there is not really much resolution to that beyond them just like becoming closer and he sees her again as more of a human because they are like friends um but there was just like it left a bad taste in my mouth and i was like i don't really like this guy i feel for him but i don't really like this guy yeah i think the film did a good job of addressing it but i also don't know if it explored it enough enough or if it had the bandwidth to explore it because this is just an hour and a half and i feel like if you just added an extra 10 minutes to develop that a little bit more i don't i wouldn't have minded Mm -hmm. and i don't know whether it was just you know it's it's slim basically i Mm -hmm. think i think just the story on that end of it is a little bit slim i think it was front-loaded and then in terms of the resolution like you said it just you didn't it doesn't mm, it left me wanting a little bit more yeah um, i was surprised like when it ended i was like oh this this is it when the credits yeah. started rolling yeah which is the the thing is like i say this but at the same time there's no easy way to talk about something as awkward as this right like you have monetized and turned something extremely human natural emotional visceral into something that is like a tit for tat mm-hmm. so that's gonna sit uncomfortably with anybody that approaches something like this um yeah so i think like that discomfort that we're feeling about it not being explored is basically our discomfort with the whole ordeal of surrogacy and (laughs) what that means and and it's very convenient for a lot of people but for someone like matt you know matt is a single dad he could impregnate basically anybody in his entire until the day he dies right (laughs) like Whenever that might be. Right. I didn't totally understand where he was coming from either, like, in mm. terms of... Like, yeah. I, that, I think they tried to explain it a little bit, but the explanation just totally, like, went over my head. Like, yeah. like what's his deal? I that's, that's my biggest critique of it, is I think Anna is developed really well, as in terms of, like, talking about the reasons why she agrees to do this, mm-hmm. uh, why it's useful, why she needs the money, um, her backstory... All of it. Like, I really like Anna. I think she was fully developed. Matt? I don't know, dude. Like, I, you know, for him, it felt more like an immediacy thing. Like, he needed to do this for himself now. Oh. Which I don't know if I'm invested in that. Because maybe I needed to hear a little bit more about how he was getting older. And how he didn't want to be an old dad. You know, that I would understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would understand that too. Um, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if that was really talked about. And anyway, so like, I say all of that to say that, you know, when I hear about surrogacy, it's more about women uh, or people with uteruses that can't carry um, mm-hmm. a baby to term. So then they will get a surrogate to do that for them. And there's, you know, there's a difference there because it's like they've got no other choice and they would like a baby. Um so I'm I'm not sure if that was what we kind of balked at, but I agree with you also on that that the final scene, especially because it was one of the more like poignant scenes to me. Like it it felt really thoughtful, you know. But th- there's no real spoiler alert in this. You know, the film ends when the baby is born, and the final scene is the birth. There's like a creative choice that's made by the by the director Nicole Beckwith, who uh, also wrote the film. She keeps the camera on Anna. Uh, now that the baby's born and the baby's crying and you just hear Matt and the baby together and Matt is overjoyed and I just thought that really encapsulated that the complications you know I thought that that whole scene was like perfect and I just it's funny because like 
I know it was meant to be a happy moment, but it also kind of kind of made me feel a little bit sad. Yeah, it's um, a little bit like you feel the loss. You feel the loss, and you feel like, oh yeah, this is what this is. Like she it literally is in so much pain. She just went through this traumatic bodily affair called childbirth, and um, that's it. Her job's done, mm-hmm. and. I don't know. I, f- I felt like that that handled the whole the whole complication of surrogacy really well. That in that one single scene, and I just wanted another scene to kind of bookend it, and we didn't get it. It yeah. cuts. It fa- it cuts straight to credits. Again, on the one hand, I understand it as a creative choice because it's like we start with her being interviewed and we end with the baby, and that's how surrogacy is. Like that's the whole transaction. But at the same time, we've already invested in Anna. I would like to see what she's doing, like after that. So I don't know. All in all, I had a really good time. Like it, re- like that hour and a half was really heartwarming to me. It just make it makes you think about these things, and I think any film that does that is is already you know is already successful. Great cast. Um, I loved. Uh, I loved. Julio Torres as her as her coffee shop coworker, big fan. Yeah, of his. he's so good. a huge fan. But yeah, like loved him. Loved the rest of the supporting cast, like um, the lab technician Sufi Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's so good as well. We get you know for all my Pen Fifteen fans, Anna Conkle shows up as like a doula in this of some <laughs> kind. She's really great. And then Tignataro is also the couples therapist for them yeah yeah a lot of like fun fun faces from yeah yeah not the most famous people in the world but like anyone who you know you're familiar with like ed helm scene you're familiar with patty harrison scene you'll see these people and you're like oh what a pleasant surprise what a hugely pleasant surprise so yeah i mean this is fun for me if you watch this and you if you like me like shows about facility journeys there are films and there are TV episodes that deal with it a little bit more hard on than this one. Um, I would recommend Private Life on Netflix. It's for all my Catherine Hahn fans and Paul Giamatti fans. So they're both, they both play a couple that's trying, that's going through the IVF process. Very intense arguments, you know, very, very complicated. Really does not shy away from that. It's directed by Tamara Jenkins. Um, I would also recommend the easily forgotten Matthew Weiner anthology series, uh, The Romanoffs. Uh, do you remember this? Show? <laughs> do you remember this? I remember it because I tried watching an episode and then I kind of never continued. But yeah, it seems to have like, it maybe had, had a brief, brief like moment and then it, yeah, nobody really talks about it anymore. Yeah, I think we're all just kind of a little bit embarrassed of Matthew Weiner, which I, <laughs> is, is, is unfair because he's very, very good at what he does, but. This was definitely a risk. Um, the one episode I think that paid off was the episode seven. It's called End of the Line. And it also stars Catherine Hahn. Why is Catherine Hahn such a, like, number one select for woman that is frazzled trying to have a baby? <laughs> um, so she's in this with J.R. Ferguson, who you'll know from Mad Men. Um, and they go to Russia to adopt a, ba- a Russian baby. Um, and that is also extremely, like, does not shy away from the complications of adoption. So, yeah, I would recommend those if you want something a little bit more, like, adult, a little bit more grown, a little bit more getting into the weeds of the fertility journey. But for now, I think Together Together is a really fun watch. I would really recommend it. It's on Hulu. Go give it a go. So that was me. Uh, what was on your docket this week, Jenny? So I watched Dead Pigs, 
which is available. You know, you can rent this on various platforms or you can watch it on Mubi, which I forgot was still some sort of streaming platform. Yeah, I'm I'm one of those losers that has it. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Uh, It's Criterion and Mubi over here, baby. Ah, well. We don't play around with our fucking cinematic (laughs) snobbiness. Well, there you you go. There you go. You can watch it on Mubi. Um, I believe Mubi also has like uh, free trials or whatever. So you can try to get on there if you don't want to do VOD. Yeah. But this film is from 2018. It's actually the directorial feature film debut by Kathy N., who is a writer and director who people might know right now as like the the director of Birds of Prey that the DC movie but this was actually her first like feature film um so this debuted at Sundance and then it finally came out on movie in February um i i had it on my i guess like some level of awareness list for a while now but i'm glad i finally got the chance to watch it this is inspired partly by a real life incident in 2013 in China uh, when more than 16,000 pigs, uh, dead pigs, sort of surfaced floating in the Huangpu River near Sha- uh, Shanghai, suspected of, you know, having died because of this virus. And then the bodies were dumped in the river because it was too expensive for the farmers to bury them or dispose of them in other ways. So that is sort of like the contextual backdrop for this, although this is definitely like a more of a fictional tale that just like pulls from real life. So to give a little bit of an explanation, although it kind of gets like a little bit uh, complicated because there are a lot of different storylines. It follows an ensemble of characters, including uh, a pig farmer who is in a lot of debt, his sister, a salon owner who refuses to leave their family home amidst like rubble and like uh, real estate development um, so she just like doesn't want to leave so that this real estate company can raise her house and build luxury housing. There's the farmer's son who is a busboy in the city who is trying to pretend to his father that he has a very successful, uh, wonderful life. There is a, a rich guy's daughter who meets the busboy and, uh, they kind of start a friendship slash like flirtation relationship. And there is a white ex- expat architect who's part of the real estate development project to basically destroy the salon owner's house and build luxury housing. So this whole like cast of characters and some more like in the beginning, it doesn't show how they're all connected. So but gradually as the film advances, you see how all the threads uh, and the characters are sort of intertwined and how they actually are relate to e- are related to each other in one way or another. So that is sort of the TLDR. Um, it's kind of a hard movie to explain, but uh, I personally really enjoyed it for the most part. Um, what about you, Pellin? I really liked it too. I think it's a solid film. Mm-hmm. It's funny because um, a lot of films that are coming out of mainland China in the last like 20 years really deal with similar f- themes, yeah. which is real estate growth, money, yeah. just in general, and what it does to people. So having this kind of in that canon has been, I I really enjoyed it, especially because it's tonally very different. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, So yeah, a lot of the films that people that might be included in what you're talking about, Palin, are like what they're called like sixth generation cinema, I guess, from China. And one of like 
the big uh, filmmakers who this reminded me a lot of his movie Ashes Pierce White is Jia Jungkook, and that actually makes sense because he is one of the uh, executive producers for this film. Yeah, so you can see yeah. a lot of the influence from like his kind of work in this. Um, you know that whole slate of filmmakers in this, like, like as you said, talking about things like urbanization, modernization, globalization. Um, how all of these impacts just like the, the everyday lives of the common people. But this film like has a lot of quirks, I would say. Like there's a lot of self-seriousness and a lot of the, uh, I guess the more art house, like sixth generation films. And this one, it definitely takes some of that, but it, I think it kind of tilts stuff on its head a little bit. It takes a little bit even more of like a, a slanted view of things, like a, a kind of wry tone. And just like the, the conception of like the characters and who they are. Like you have a pig farmer who, uh, has tastes where he like loves VR and you have like a salon yeah. owner who raises like champion pigeons and all of that kind of thing. Um, so I really appreciate the tone for this as well. Yeah. You can really see how Kathy Yan ended up being selected for Birds of Prey. Yeah. Just in terms of like people kind of peeped her, you know, what she, revels in mm-hmm. and just kind of gave her a huge huge dc budget um <laughs> yeah i've i mean i've heard birds of prey i haven't seen birds of prey but i've heard it's really good mm-hmm. because of its tone and because of the way that um the director shot it so i yeah i can i can see why yeah yeah and fun fact about kathy ann that i learned um she used to be a journalist um so yeah. a lot of this is uh somewhat informed by her experience as a journalist in china like she definitely includes like news media in this so she has an eye for that she has an eye for like different kinds of people uh slash characters and and the way that they they lead their lives yeah so ultimately like as you said this this film is about money and essentially what money slash real estate which is a stand-in for money um it does what it does to the lives of different people those who have money those who don't have money and what money can and can't buy. So I really loved seeing basically how that sort of overall theme informs each of the individual storylines, um, which, as I said, like they appear disparate, but they actually are like very intertwined with each other. So, um, for example, I love the character of, of Candy, the salon owner who refuses to leave her home. Like she is just like this, this middle aged woman, but who is so incredibly independent and stubborn. And I guess like fierce in uh, like literally very fierce. And she refuses to be bought by this real estate company for various reasons, but becomes kind of like a some mark of an like a viral icon for this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's her, it's her sentimentality for her family home is it, it, it sits very beautifully next to the fact that she's also, you know, doing pretty well for herself as a business owner. Yeah, she has a nice um, life. She has a nice life, but, you know, she also has her principles. Yeah. So it's really, no- I just love her as a person because that's kind of how I hope I would ever be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was like nice seeing her in contrast to her brother, the pig farmer. He is in much more, I would say, dire economic straits. Like he owes a lot of money to local gangs who are threatening to like do something to him if he doesn't pay up. He lost his money to like investment scams. He um is relying on like regular payments from his son in the city and you know his son's not doing well either um which he doesn't know about for a long time. So, but yeah, seeing like 
who can actually have principles. Like, Candy has principles, but also she can afford to have principles. Whereas, like, her brother is so desperate, is really a pitiful character in so many ways. Um, and he sells out. But then the question again is like, well, what is really selling out when you, you have nothing? When you just need something, you need to sell out to survive to protect you or your, your family. Yeah. So it was, mm-hmm. what I love about this is everybody apart from Candy sells a part of themselves. Yeah. In a way that probably diminishes their dignity or their pride mm-hmm. down to the white guy. You know, oh, like everybody. Such an interesting character. Yeah. <laughs> um. And, um, <laughs> So Zazie Beats is in this, and she shows up randomly. Yeah, as like as like this scout, like a model scout, mm-hmm. and she approaches our white guy who's meant to be an architect. Mm-hmm. And then you find out there's a whole business for Western-looking people um, yeah. to show up to mall openings, you know, real estate openings as um, as proof of its i guess global not global not not what's the word kind of like global appeal or like um yeah global appeal like cosmopolitan yeah cosmopolitan, charm yeah um of like oh you know these white people or these foreign people are living here and and it, it, obviously they're hired by the company to to be like this but for prospective buyers it really kind of it's like a selling point yeah, and this is like so... actually a thing that happens. Um, my mom was in the same room, you know, as I was watching this, of course, and she commented like, as soon as she saw like this white guy Sean appear, she's like, you know, that's so funny. Like, uh, you know, expats like they live really different lives, and a lot of companies actually do hire them to like be the face of them or whatever. Um, and then like very soon we find out like, okay, the kind of modeling that Zazie Beats's character meant, meant really was like literally like pretending to be uh, a rich, you know, European millionaire who like yeah. stands at this opening. Um, very funny. Yeah. It's so funny. And that's what I mean. It, it's like the son in this as well, mm-hmm. who's played by Ang Lee's son. I know, you know I know. As soon as I looked <laughs> up this this guy, this actor, Mason Lee, um, that is like the iconic Ang Lee's son. And he looks a little bit like him too. I'm just <laughs> like, wait, okay. Um, so he he also he figures out a way to get money that is extremely oh, unhealthy yeah. and hazardous, and he keeps doing it. And obviously, at some point, it doesn't work out for him. But the fact that you know. He's so ashamed by the fact that he doesn't have money, or he's so ashamed by the fact that he's been lying to his father that he. It, it's just really sad. Like it's, the whole yeah. format of it is really sad. Yeah, I just, I just really liked the way that it just faced these themes head on, and it, you, you can see these themes everywhere, even in America. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty universal. Yeah, um, totally. It reminded me a little bit also of um, the White Tiger on Netflix, which you talked mm. about a while ago. Not exactly, like, tonally, but in terms of, like, I mean, a lot of the issues or the themes are spread across, like, the these two, like, very rapidly changing uh, countries and societies and economies. And just, like, the issues that that brings with it in terms of, like, different, you know, classes and just, like, socioeconomic situations, um, while also there are these, like, strong, like, forces of, like, familial ties and, like, traditions, like, that are also in play yeah, I and I really do like how um how Kathy Yun just kind of approaches it with like a sense of lightness. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, before this we talked about um Jia Junker. I had watched uh, A Touch of Sin as well. Have you seen A Touch of Sin? No. 
So it's one of his films where, similarly to this one, similarly to Dead Pigs, it's about stories that actually happened in in like so there's like four four or five loosely connected stories not even loosely connected they're just like things that happened in the news in china in the like the last like 20 30 years or something and it's basically doing what this film is doing it's just doing it in a much more serious and dark way Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also like more violent so i would i would recommend that but i really did like how like like you said it made sense that he was the ep but i also loved how much she made it her own like at the yeah end. so yeah totally um i would say like my one quibble with it is like i don't quite like uh the tonal shift that occurs towards the end of the film like after the climax it kind of changes the film in a way that i think it doesn't quite ever quite like recover from Mm. So, you know, the the top maybe two-thirds uh, or, like, three-fourths of the film, you know, that has that feeling of, like, hollowness from, like, what is going on in capital S society. Um, kind of sad in a lot of ways or bleak, but also very wry and ironic and humorous in a lot of ways. Um, after the climax, though, like, there is this moment where, like, literally everyone on screen suddenly breaks into song like uh almost like a parody of a karaoke video and i think this is probably meant ironically as well but it's kind of hard to tell and from then on we speed along towards uh a conclusion that i find kind of too neat not quite wry enough a little bit more hopeful than uh ironic like we see where everyone is headed for their happy ending or at least like okay ending and it is fine but it just struck me as like a little bit off compared to like what we had seen for you know the top majority of the film yeah especially because right before that tonal shift ends up feeling really emotional yeah it came right on the the heels of this very emotional poignant like climactic moment mm-hmm. so that was that was weird i agree with you it's weird yeah i do i do wonder if that was intentional in that you know it's trying to say something about how people just carry on probably and this is, but I, you know this, like- this sucks but <laughs> life goes on but yeah i mean I, I i agree with you like it's not ideal to me yeah either it was del- i mean it was definitely deliberate but whatever it was like trying to signal um maybe it did it a little bit too subtly if if that was the case because I, I think it like mm. it really i really just like miss whatever it was trying to convey but you know aside from that you know i still enjoy this film quite a bit definitely memorable i think like a great showing from from kathy n um and also like a great collection of these like encapsulation of these these themes from modern chinese cinema in a lot of ways um but also like some of the realities of like things that have happened in china like some of these incidents are like they seem like too fantastical too absurd to be real but you know everything from like the the dead pig incident to like you know, people trying to get hit by vehicles to get money to like all of these different things. Um, they literally like have happened. Uh, yeah. So sometimes it's like reality makes her, uh, is, is even more absurd, uh, than, than pure fiction. Yeah. My favorite thing is the way that it approaches how the West and Western ideals mm-hmm. or Western people 
are considered i don't know more quality or yeah. you know it, it's like desirable yeah like if you've seen the farewell there's the dining the dining scene of the whole family together talking about that that kind of addresses mm-hmm. these these themes but i think this film really expands out on it and really forces the viewer to kind of face it and understand what it really is like through you know this this expat guy yeah um he's definitely an interesting character and, and you see like how it suggested that he wasn't good enough to cut it uh back yeah. in back home wherever he came from yeah um, yeah i love that scene. but then he oh, came he here and he found major success uh yeah and all it really took was being a white guy yeah the, the showcase of the dynamics at play are done really well. Yeah. So shout out to you, Kathy Ann. So her next her next thing is actually going to be with A24 for uh, your namesake's book, right? Yeah. Sour Heart? Yeah. yeah. The actual Jenny Zhang. What do you mean the actual? The 1.0, the OG Jenny Zhang. Shut the fuck um, up. You're the, you're the one and only. Okay. <laughs> no, but it's going to be, um, I believe, a movie about basically the collection of uh short stories from from sour heart i don't know exactly how it's gonna uh, be, yeah, I don't like know unfold either. or be portrayed on screen um yeah i'm not sure i think it's a good fit and then i also think kathy yen is working on um something from rachel kong who is um another like asian american novelist so yeah she seems to definitely kind of know what she's into and yeah. is really good at bringing these kind of things to life so i will definitely be watching out for her future work So that's what we've been watching this week. Um, for culture notes, we want to start off by talking about the news of White Lotus being renewed for a season two, <laughs> which is very exciting because, you know, season one was created in pandemic and it was essentially a first draft by Mike White, uh, the showrunner. And this time it's going to be, apparently, it's going to be set in one of the other White Lotus locations with a brand new cast. So it's essentially going to be like an anthology series. Mm-hmm. Very excited about this. I'm I'm excited to see what Mike White can do without the constrictions of last year's pandemic and maybe the, the looser uh, constrictions of this year's pandemic because, you know, <laughs> it just keeps changing. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see who gets cast, what it's going to be about even. Yeah. What are the, you know, what are the op- what could possibly go wrong in a hotel? <laughs> like in a luxury <laughs> hotel somewhere else in the world. Something else um, with like mm, people with money and like people working yeah. for those people with money. Uh, I will I will crack up if White Lotus season 2 is just like set in Russia, you know? <laughs> but th- this got us thinking a little bit. Um Jenny and I were having a chat about what this means in terms of anthology series and how much of an uptick there, there's been in them there, there was an uptick a couple of years back like four or five years back but they really start to hit their stride especially with the need for streaming but what were your thoughts on this jenny because i know we talked about it but yeah i mean it seems to be and like in 2017 like vulture actually wrote about the return of the episodic anthology series. So they, like you said, like they identified this thing that started happening a few years ago, um, with stuff like Ryan Murphy, uh, Black Mirror, etc. Et but it seems like there's only going to be more of these, right? Especially now, like I, like you were talking to me before this about BJ Novak's new thing coming up called The Premise, also an anthology thing centered on 
modern issues or something like that. <laughs> I can't I'm already quite tell. so tired. I'm already so tired. All the no, issues I mean, that, of the day, like all the issues. in there so oh, far. It might oh, be good. The world I don't really know. that we live in. But, oh, the navel gazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that trailer dropped this week as well, and it and it has like a cast of characters too. Mm-hmm. But it just, I, I think, the reason for the, this demand, I think, is. It pulls in star directors and star writers, and it also pulls in star talent. Because I think just on a logistical level, or if you, if all you're doing is shooting one series and you're not committed to like five, six yeah. years of this show, I think as an actor, especially if you're more famous, it, well, not even if you're more famous, it just frees up the roster, um, of, of talent that could possibly squeeze in like two months worth of work as opposed to five yeah. years, basically. So. It's useful for streaming platforms because they get to attract the star talent, both in front and, and behind the camera. But at the same time, it increases chatter. Like it's, it's like something that is talked about quite, quite a lot for a very short period of time. And then people kind of forget about it. Like with Ryan Murphy, also this week, we got the, tra- the full trailer for Impeachment, American Crime Story. That is obviously that's the that's the anthology series about the Bill Clinton Monica Lewinsky controversy that happened, and it's exciting because like Beanie Feldstein is playing Monica Lewinsky. Um, there's like a whole bunch of people. Sarah Paulson in a fat suit, which is ridiculous because she looks stupid. Just <laughs> hire fat actors, please. Um, but I think the Crown is not an anthology series because it's about it's about the same family but the fact that the cast of character switches up and then it follows a different timeline each series is also something like yeah. it's an example of how people get excited about the casting news how people get excited about um the, you know that the thing that it's trying to talk about mm-hmm. uh, especially if it's based in history um yeah i don't know how i feel about this because i really don't care for anthology series for the most part dude it's really nothing that i'm like oh yeah like let me get into it like i don't yeah I have really to don't care. I have to agree with you. Um I mean part of the appeal of for me of TV and the these ongoing series is like really the characters and keeping up with them, like the continuity, um feeling engaged with them, like you become really fond of these characters in different ways and anthologies they don't really have that. Um I would yeah. consider it like a different kind of like art form, like a different format entirely from what I consider to be like, oh, TV, TV. Yeah. And it's not to say, like, I've been on this podcast many times talking about how much I love limited series <laughs> and miniseries. Which, what does I that do. even mean anymore? Let's be real. What does that even mean? Yeah. It, but, uh, like, the White Lotus was meant to be a limited series, but, you know. Um, the thing about that, though, that I think the difference is that you're trying, if you say from the top that you're trying to tell a complete story and, it's basically a, the way I treat it is like it's like a five hour movie that's split over weeks, mm-hmm. which I, I, my brain just knows how to accept that. And I then look at it from a storytelling perspective. Yes. Yeah. I'm not so much invested in, the, I mean, I'm invested in the characters. That's part of the storytelling, but I'm really invested in like how something is paced, how something is told, what's revealed to us from, from each episode with an anthology series. Like that's not. I know, like, it's almost like you know what the intention was behind greenlighting this, and for that reason, I can't philosophically get behind it. Um, I, you know, in that Vulture article that you mentioned, it says that it's something that people want. Uh, and this was this article was written back in 2017. I don't know if that's true anymore. Mm-hmm. I think after the years of anthology series, it's, um, I mean, who knows? We don't know the statistics for how many people watch these series. 
but are people craving, you know, a prestige series like peak TV, basically like Game of Thrones is the last one where we were all collectively watching something. We'd been watching it for years. We know these characters. We have favorites. I think that's what people want now. Mm-hmm. Like we want that again. We haven't had it for such a well, such a long time. We haven't had it for a couple of years now, and I I feel like a lot of networks are probably it's hard to find that. And while they're looking yeah, for it, it's because gamble. the demand, yeah, because the demand of output is so high, like obviously just greenlighting an expensive anthology series is okay while they wait and while they wait for their Game of Thrones, basically. So it's just interesting. It's interesting, like even with with Mayor of Easttown, the fact that it was so dead set on being limited series and people were still questioning whether or not it should go into the second. It, it's because we we were so invested in, in Mayor and that fucking town mm-hmm. that I think people would be down for several seasons of Mayor and that town. Um, there have been certain anthology series that started off strong. I think like Fargo is one of my favorite first season anthology series. Uh, I think HBO Max launched with Love Life with Anna Kendrick and that's that's currently being cast for the second season. There's like a whole bunch of shit coming out, man. There's so many. And I I just don't know if I have it in me to watch any of it. Especially because like so much so much of them like BJ Novak's series are trying to like say something. Um, through each episode, trying like, to be too like obvious about saying something so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, we all want another Black Mirror, but there can be no other Black Mirror. Like, even Black Mirror started to fall off in the most recent season. So, I don't know, man. It's interesting to see this landscape of TV kind of change. So, I'm curious to see if we reach our limit with that. To be honest, uh, once if and when networks try to grant uh, start to green light more prestige tv that can run on first seasons and seasons you know so that's us this week if you are watching anything that we should check out um always please let us know at criticism is dead at gmail.com or find us on twitter and instagram um you can also check out our newsletter criticism is dead.substack.com if you want to get like recaps of these episodes along with like extra links and just like other funny tweets uh, that we've seen mostly otherwise (laughs) please rate review on apple podcasts or whatever podcast platform you use Uh, maybe tell a friend about us uh thank you so much as always for listening bye see you next week thank you bye criticism is dead is produced by pen and keskin lu and jenny g jung our music is by rika Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.